Welcome back to Big Time Dicks, the show where we take a closer look at the laws and lawmakers fucking up your life. I'm Joanna Rothkoff, managing editor at Jezebel. And I'm Kelly Stout, features editor at Jezebel. Kelly, I'm so happy you're here. I am <laughs> so happy to be here. What a way to cap off a week full of dicks than to talk about and it be- on air in front of millions of people. If you're right. And then to begin a new week. I know. That's because what I mean. This- because we tape this on Mondays. And, on Monday. Yeah. And that's the last day of the week for me it, in the calendar is, that I observe. Yeah. In your calendar. Okay. Yikes. Um, yeah. It's weird timing because I feel like the week is over and then we wake up and we have to think about the last week, which feels like it was um, many 100 years ago. years <laughs> long. It was both yeah. a century ago and a century long. I feel like I'm about to talk about the 1800s. Yeah, all of the 1800s. Yeah, the oh, 1800s in which Donald Trump withdrew from the Iran nuclear deal and ended health care. And also, I got the plague. <laughs> Last week, Donald Trump was at the Values Voter Summit, which I went to two years in a row, but blessedly not this year. I was spared from it. It's a conference um, held by the Family Research Council, which is like the evangelical of evangelical. They don't believe homosexual people exist. They don't believe, I mean, they do, and they don't care for them. It's just like very bigoted. They like can't, they're the ones that hand out the brochures that are like cosmopolitan is promoting heathenism and stuff. Yeah, I went for a spring break once. It was a fun (laughs) time. (laughs) Um, Just kidding. They're like a bunch of like blonde college students that wear elephant shift dresses. Is that a joke? No. That's a joke. No. Yeah. Well, it's real. That's pretty offensive to me. <laughs> Before I start, oh, such a long buildup. Before I start, there were a lot of tweets being like, Donald Trump spoke at this conference that's giving out flyers that say gay people are sinful or whatever. And everyone's like, oh. Basically, I mean, to I've, be fair, that's kind of mean. You know, <laughs> Not a super fun crowd. They, yeah, definitely. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> But I'm just here to neg. No, no, you're right. But during the election, essentially every Republican candidate spoke at this conference. Also, it's not Donald Trump being crazy. It's like mainstream conservatism. Everybody goes to like say hi to them. At this speech, Donald Trump talking about Hurricane Maria and all the devastation, he said the following. And I went to Puerto Rico and I met with the president of the Virgin Islands Donald Trump actually is the president of the U.S. Virgin Islands because they're the U.S. Virgin Islands. They are the U.S. Virgin Islands. And that was definitely like the least disturbing thing he said in the speech. Mm -hmm. So we could want just one that we can feel comfortable having a chuckle at because he's so stupid. He is so stupid. Also, that was my nickname in college, president of the U.S. Virgin Islands. You can imagine why. (laughs) Just a little joke for the millions of listeners out there. Um, no, it's what a true. freaking weenie, it's a Donald true, Trump. It's a true fact. Yeah. Later in the episode, we have joining us Jezebel staff writer Ellie Sheckett to talk about our dick of the week, Harvey Weinstein, and the Democratic political donor system. I mean, right now, basically, Harvey Weinstein is being used as like a primo example of liberal hypocrisy. But first, our week in weenies. <laughs> Up first, we have President Donald Trump's executive order, which laid the groundwork for getting rid of Obamacare as we know it. The main thing that he did here was he said that he wasn't going to follow through on the subsidies that the healthcare markets really depend on to provide the care that they need for people who have signed up for Obamacare. This is likely to throw the markets into total chaos and basically make it unsustainable for the Affordable Care Act to function the way it's supposed to. It was, I guess, kind of a smart move 
if your goal is to throw Obamacare into disarray and to like get all that promised chaos that you keep saying, you know, Donald Trump keeps saying, oh, Obamacare, it's such a failure. Well, <laughs> he's guaranteeing that it's going to be a failure now. If you can't, you know, if it's not a failure already, make it one. That's what Trump is so good at. He's, he's so, so good at good like at looking at things that like maybe aren't perfect, but like generally function and then making them not function anymore. Yeah. He wishes it so and makes it so. He's like a King Midas of turning things into poop. Yeah. If it ain't broke, break He'll it. He'll break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's sort of what I've Definitely been... the administration goal. Yeah. It's my I, leadership style at Jezebel too. Yeah. He also, I feel like, is kind of like his governing style is like trash the hotel room and run out on the bill. Well, he's going to come into the hotel room first and be like, this hotel room's a nightmare. Yeah. Why am I, I even really in this? I can't do a Trump impression, <laughs> You're doing can I? Batman. <laughs> yeah. Um, you are doing Batman. <laughs> okay, I'll just keep doing Batman then. Yeah. He comes into the hotel room and he goes, this hotel room's a mess. Yeah, he's like, I didn't even want to but stay actually, in this it's hotel. Not a mess. And so he lights the mattress on fire and then he's like, see. So that's what he's doing to Obamacare. He's been like, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. He's also instructed Republicans to come up with a replacement. They couldn't come up with one that is passable. And so now he's just going to be like, okay, fine. Let me just snip this very important element of Obamacare off. It's kind of what makes it function. Sure. There's really no incentive to be a part of the healthcare marketplace for an insurance company if there aren't subsidies. So this is quite crucial. And also it's effective immediately. So the likelihood that insurance companies are going to withdraw from the market is pretty high. So unlike the kind of thing where Congress has to approve something and it's not going to happen for four months and you can plan for it, the subsidies happen right away. As the enrollment period begins, uh, which, by the way, Trump says he's not going to advertise anymore, which <laughs> it wasn't that well advertised to begin with. No. Listen, I love the Affordable Care Act, but, no, but they it really— it was confusing. It was confusing. For a time, you couldn't sign up on the weekend, which is when everybody sets aside time to sign up for it. It just sort of, you know, there were a couple of things there that disincentivized people from signing up. This is going to make people even less likely to sign up, um, which is likely to— you know, this really only works if a lot of people sign up for it. We all know this. And that is why he's discouraging people from signing up. Our next beanie is Stephen Miller, who had a number of extremely unflattering or flattering pieces come out in the past week about him, depending on who you are and the values that you hold dear. For instance, being kind. Do you hold that dear? If you hold that dear, these are unflattering. Okay, so the first piece was in the New York Times, and it came out on October 9th, and it told quite a tale. Okay, it, it did that thing that all of these profiles of Trump administration cronies do, where they're like, how did this kid from mm. from Santa Monica become all such places? an asshole? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's totally baffled that a rich kid who, like, had everything in the world yeah. became a dickhead adult. <laughs> it really is tracing <laughs> one's path to dickhead. But it does feel like Stephen Miller has been a dickhead his entire life. Like he grew up in Santa Monica in a very liberal community. And he prized his role as being the one asshole who gave this speech in front of the rest of the student body being like, aren't you tired of picking up garbage when we have janitors to do it for us? And everyone boos him, and then he and then he like smiles backstage. That's one of the anecdotes. It did this interesting thing with that anecdote, though, which was that 
someone who was in the audience at the time was quoted saying something like, I couldn't really tell if it was a joke or not, which I really flashed on because it felt like the psychology behind so much of the trolling that has made Trump's lackeys so so successful, which is the like, I was just joking. I was just doing it for the lulls. Yeah. And it's like politically correct culture doesn't allow us to like joke around like this anymore. And we're just joking around. I also think we should discuss the fact that he made his parents Republicans. He made his, I was trying to imagine that when I was on the subway this morning, like what he could have said and like <laughs> his parents listening to him and being like, huh, okay. He makes some good Little points. Little Steve's has some good things to say. Okay, here's it's the so other. so precocious. Sorry, go so on. Here, <laughs> here's the other anecdote that you may have heard by now, but I love it. Let me read from the New York Times. Miller jumped uninvited into the final stretch of a girls' track meet, apparently intent on proving his athletic supremacy over the opposite sex. The White House, reaching for exculpatory context, noted that this was a girls' team from another school, not his own. That's so rude. So rude. It's just like, so, just like join a track team. Also, I saw Battle of the Sexes, and the guy does not come off well. Okay. Onward. The second (laughs) second article was in The New New Yorker on October 13th, how Stephen Miller single-handedly got the U.S. to accept fewer refugees. And I urge everybody to read it because it's just crazy. But the gist of it is that the White House is so dysfunctional and there are no procedures in place because Donald Trump doesn't know government procedure because he's never worked in government before. And his brain is a bowl full of, like, fluidy spam. And yum. <laughs> and okay, so there's no procedure in place. Basically, Stephen Miller of the advisor of Trump's close advisors, there's Bannon, there's Kushner. Nobody really has government experience. There's John Kelly, but he wasn't really around then. And so he was able to like commandeer the refugee acceptance process for the year and kind of exclude all of these other important departments like the State Department, the Defense Department, the Joint Chiefs of Staff to push forward his own policy, which is very nationalistic and intent on keeping refugees and foreign nationals out of the country. And there was nobody to say, let's get a white paper on all of the different approaches. The White House asked the Department of Health and Human Services to study the costs of refugee settlement. And the department came back with a study this past July showing that the tax money raised by accepting these refugees exceeded the cost of resettling them by $63 billion. Wow, what an easy decision. You care about the economy because you're a Republican or any person. $63 billion more dollars mm-hmm. is good, right? Yeah. Miller reportedly suppressed the study and asked that the department recalculate the numbers because he had said at the beginning of the process The president believes refugees cost more, and the results of this study shouldn't embarrass the president. Um, Our next weenie is the way that the White House is functioning. (laughs) That's all I got. That's the best way I can think to describe this. There was a really good item in the Washington Post uh, by Ashley Parker and Greg Jaffe about how the Trump White House functions like an adult daycare center, which are the words of Senator Bob Corker. He uh, tweeted this last week. Basically, the Trump White House, everyone who works there spends a huge amount of the day uh, telling Trump how much they approve of him and telling him how great he is, which is cool. I really related to that because that's sort of how I demand that Jezebel run. Um, Yeah. (laughs) 
And so I was like, same. Uh, But basically, the administration officials are trying to contain the president. That's the way this Washington Post article put it. They're trying to make sure that not too much crosses his desk every day and that everything is presented in the best possible light for Donald Trump's approval numbers. And I found this very funny because John Kelly was quoted in this article as calling Donald Trump a decisive guy and a very thoughtful man. Ugh, it must suck so much to work there. I can't even imagine. Remember that's remember the 30 Rock where uh Jack goes to work for the Bush administration Cooter and they don't have pens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is sort of how I imagine Cooter the whole Burger. <laughs> yeah. This is how I imagine the entire administration is. Well, we all know that Rome wasn't built in a day. Well, that's one. We have a chance to make this country great again. We need hope. We need change. We need experience. We need pens. The frequent praise thing killed me. Like, that they have to constantly say, Mr. President, you're the greatest. You're so smart. You're so smart. Let me tell you all about um, these economic numbers on refugees. I know. You're so great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that's also definitely how I absorb information best. But, like, the— The same. When somebody says, Joanna— you're so brilliant. What does someone as brilliant as you think about this? Joanna, you're so brilliant. What does someone as brilliant as you think about all this disarray in the Trump administration? <laughs> thank, thank you so much for asking me. Actually, it reminds me of a baby. So you think babies like really take over households. I mean, it's not new to call Donald Trump a baby, especially since this article is called Inside the Adult Daycare Center. But babies are so small, but such a loud scream. And so weak because they're so small, they're babies. They have no muscle mass of an adult. Um, However, they manage to like punch you in the face when they're like flailing if you're trying to get them into like a car seat or something. They have so much body power. Um, You just described babies as having so much body power. They have more than you think. Okay. Like, think of Louise. She's so small, but she can really make a mess if yeah. she's trying. Louise is my puppy. Yeah. Like, just for the Louise millions out there puppy. listening. But, you know, this actually really, I, as I was reading this article in the Post, I was thinking, oh, this is really good strategy for raising a puppy also. Because, you know, they do really well. The latest thinking on dog training is that dogs do really well when you tell them what they're doing right. They don't do so well when you say, like, no, get off the counter. Yeah. Don't unilaterally withdraw from the Iran deal. <laughs> um, so, like, that's part of why Louise, like, has not ruined the Affordable Care Act. We need to be training Donald Trump like one trains a dog, a stupid dog. I Already think that's a good takeaway. <laughs> Ready the tweets. Vroom, that's me firing up the tweet engine. <laughs> Now joining us is Ellie Sheckett, Jezebel staff writer and author of Shocking Footage Surfaces of Me After I Hooked Up with a Friend in College and Then Ran Into Him at the Deli and other articles (laughs) such as 
a brief history of Harvey Weinstein's relationship with the Democratic Party. Thanks for being here, Ellie. Thank you for having me, ladies. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Ellie, thank you. So, yeah, so we're like two weeks out and continuing to just sort of live in this deluge of Harvey Weinstein news. Now, producer Harvey Weinstein is facing multiple sexual harassment accusations that span 30 years, according to the New York Times. The Times reporting that the Miramax co-founder has reached eight settlements with various accusers. Nearly three dozen women have accused Weinstein of sexual harassment or misconduct. Last night, the board of the Weinstein Company fired Harvey Weinstein as co-chairman of the company that he and his brother founded. The Oscar Academy, the... uh... Motion Picture Academy has worked to remove Harvey Weinstein as a member of that very elite club. It's over. Harvey Weinstein's wife is leaving him. Famed fashion designer Georgina Chapman made the announcement six days after the scandal blew up her life. We have audio from The New Yorker. I'd like to play that for you now. The voice is Harvey Weinstein's. What do we have to do here? Nothing. I'm going to take a shower. You sit there and have a drink. Water. I don't drink. Uh, Can I stay on the bar? No. You must come here now. No. Please. No, I don't want to. I'm not doing anything with you. I'm very embarrassing. I'm sorry. I cannot. No, yesterday was kind of aggressive for me. I need to know a person to be touched. I won't do a thing. I don't want to do a thing, please. I swear I won't. Just sit with me. Don't embarrass me in the hotel. I'm here all the time. Questions are starting to surface about who knew what, when, and that very much includes Democratic Party officials and elected officials um, who have been taking his money for a few decades. And this is something that obviously the Republican Party is just sort of um, really enjoying because it's been the first time in a while that they've been able to really like dig in to something shitty happening on the other side. Well, you know, their president is sort of dancing with nuclear war. (laughs) Yeah. So this poses a lot of complicated questions. It's hard to wrap up in a neat bow. It poses questions for Democrats, for feminists, um, and for people who are sort of accepting of of this donor system and um, this political system that we live in today. Take us back to the 1990s. Ooh, the 1990s, uh, sort of in the Clinton age. The Democratic Party started to get more into big money, um, and Harvey Weinstein was definitely one of the these people who sort of pops up um, in articles when you look at old articles about the Democrats' sort of campaign finance system, and um, and when you look at uh, articles about the um, the 2000 race, the 2004 race. What's interesting about Harvey Weinstein is that a lot of these allegations hadn't been published until recently, but it was widely known for a really long time that he was just generally an asshole. 
Um, it had been reported, you know, in 2001 in this big David Carr profile in New York Magazine. Um, and again in 2004. So, um, and like everybody who taught, who's like ever had an interaction with him knows that he sucks. Like, right. <laughs> everyone's it's, like, oh yeah, that guy. Right. Said this lewd thing to me or like screamed at my assistant or screamed at me on the phone or something. So like if you're, he's given to all these Democrats, Kristen Gillibrand, Al Franken, Cory Booker, Chuck Schumer, Richard Blumenthal, Elizabeth Warren, Patrick <laughs> Leahy. Oh, wow. A <laughs> bunch of others. <laughs> What's their responsibility? When they know that he's got a reputation as being a giant douchebag. Like even pre- Pre-allegations. Like these, like pre these big reports. And when it was just like kind of known that he sucked, he had a few groping accusations. Just a few gropes. <laughs> Not <so>. um, <laughs> Allegations. <laughs> um. <laughs> no, but like, is that when you're talking about like before two weeks ago? Yeah. So, like, what's your obligation? It it strikes me that the obligation becomes different when it becomes sexual harassment as opposed to just douchebaggery. Right. And when you think about the extent of the allegations that are coming out at this point, it looks like he was sort of terrorizing half of an entire industry. And it's sort of obviously the question that probably won't ever be completely answered is who knew what, when, and who was sort of going along with it and who was just genuinely sort of out of the loop. It's There's also kind of like a sense that I get, like not to be very callous, but there. I mean, for Democrats, I mean, not only for Democrats, but also for Democrats, there is like a level of sexual harassment that's acceptable where you don't have to do anything, like not just for Democrats, for everybody. You see this with like a Bill Clinton or a Woody Allen or like Congress pe- people who suck. Like, people are willing to go along with so much if you're still a public figure. And then there's a point in the news cycle where you're not allowed to anymore. Yeah. And also, Ellie, you make a really good point in your article about how the Harvey Weinstein's big donations to these prominent Democrats coincided with the rise of the Koch and the Mercer networks and the Mm -hmm. competition that Democrats were seeing from big Republican donors, and which probably incentivized a little bit of looking the other way. Right. I mean, and the Democratic Party has never really been able to compete with what is going on on the other side. It's just this incredibly disciplined network of um, ideologically rigid billionaires um, working to infuse uh, the Republican Party with ideologies that uh, coincide with their financial interests. On the other side, um, there is a lot of big money. There's nothing quite like that. And it's unclear to me, at least, um, how big of an impact Harvey Weinstein actually had on the Democratic Party. Um, He definitely wasn't always loyal to the Democratic Party. Like uh, there was in this 2001 New York City mayoral election, he um, he reportedly felt slighted by the Democratic candidate like a week before uh, the election and switched to supporting Michael Bloomberg, who was a Republican. Drama. <laughs> and then later, um, in the 2008 primaries, he was a big backer of Hillary Clinton. He had always been a big backer of the Clintons when she was um, up against Barack Obama. And he sort of reportedly, he denies this, but he reportedly was sort of threatening and pushing um, Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic Party to to basically finance some revotes that the Clinton campaign wanted. And he reportedly, again, denies this, but he reportedly threatened to support John McCain if this didn't happen. And then 
as we can see, eventually he he got on board with the Obamas and Nancy Pelosi allegedly like basically told him to fuck off. He's sort of just been a mess. I don't know. It's it's really hard to know. I'm sure there's going to be some great reporting in the future about what he was like behind the scenes in the Democratic Party, like what that those interactions were like, because it must have been kind of nuts. I don't know. It's interesting to me because it's clear from everything that has come out in the past, like, two weeks, that everyone in Hollywood was totally in his thrall, and there, and you couldn't really contest him in any way. I wonder if that extended to politics. I get the sense from his interactions with Nancy Pelosi that it's not, that he doesn't quite hold the same power in politics that he does in Although Hollywood. Hollywood and Democrats have long been friends. Like during the election, yeah, they are this, best friends. They are literally best friends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he that and that was sort of I think began with with well in the Clinton age, but also with Weinstein specifically. He was there, like he was at these. He was paying a lot of money and then getting into these dinners at the White House with with Bill Clinton. There's also one interesting thing back in the 2000 election uh, when it was Al Gore versus. George W. Bush, as we all remember, um, Weinstein was also in a much more limited sense used. I mean, right now, basically, Harvey Weinstein is being used as like a primo example of liberal hypocrisy of like this guy who spouts liberal values, gives money to liberal causes, and then is like doing all this other shit behind the scenes. I like that it's a liberal value to not sexually harass people. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's a good one. I'm I'm glad to be on that side, whatever (laughs) side that is. (laughs) That's my voter registration, actually. Just, like, not into sexual Anti-groping <laughs> party. So Al Gore's campaign, one of his big campaign talking points was criticizing violence <laughs> and sex in films that are being shown to minors, which is, like, first of all, can you imagine if that was a big campaign talking Like, a campaign Innocent talking point times. I know. right now is, like, uh, telling teens we to not so be sweet. Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so back then, uh, this was used as a kind of big sort of talking point by George W. Bush's campaign because Harvey Weinstein was a big uh, Al Gore supporter. And Harvey Weinstein was sort of, he was behind a lot of these films. So to a lesser extent, he was used as um, an example of kind of... Talking out of one, both sides right. of the mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so let me also say, the New York Times reported last week that at least four senators are getting rid of money that Weinstein donated to them. Patrick Leahy of Vermont, Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, Martin Heinrich of New Mexico, and Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts said they would transfer money to charity in amounts equal to donations they'd received. So that's what some people have chosen to do. I would imagine that for other politicians who received much more, it's hard to, and especially who aren't currently in office, it's more hazy what they're going to choose to do with that money. Also, I want to bring up <laughs> is how Republicans have reacted oh, to it's this. So fun. And they are freaking so <laughs> excited, which is number one, grotesque. But also, they're like, we told you one of you suck also. And like, how dare you talk about Donald Trump grabbing, like, like joking about grabbing pussy when one of your biggest donors is like uh, an alleged. Yeah. Serial assaulter. It's like this weird argument of like, 
our values are terrible and we stick to them, but oh. your values are better and you don't live up to them sometimes. Right. You guys are hypocrites, <laughs> also, but we are honest. <laughs> we're honest about being like dirtbags. The, the talking point on him is that what he did was bad, you know, and the talking point on grab her by the pussy was sort of not that half of America still voted for him. Right. You know, like half of America, if polled, it's hard to imagine that they would say, yeah, Harvey Weinstein. Great. Let's do this. I don't I know. It, maybe I'm wrong. I'm No, you're right. <laughs> but I mean, are we supposed to try and dissect like why people are able to forgive Donald Trump for being foul, but they aren't able to forgive Harvey Weinstein for also being foul? Oh, because He's not I running think, for president. Because I think people right. like Donald Trump because he's rolling in the pigsty. Like that's what people like about him is that he's open about just not giving a shit about other people. And that's sort of, that is the idea that surrounds him, I guess. Not necessarily that he's an open or honest person. Um, and I think that, I don't know, Donald Trump Jr. also, if you look at his timeline, he's like been reborn as Gloria Steinem. <laughs> he, he has been like RTing Rose McGowan. He like, also he's said some terrible things. I mean, Donald Trump Jr. said something. I mean, he was talking about, like, harassment against women in the workplace once, and he said, if you can't handle some of the basic stuff that's become a problem in the workforce today, then you don't belong in the workforce. And he suggests that women who can't handle it should work in a kindergarten class. And like, now, now, like, for these, like, <laughs> 12 days, he's, like, the ultimate feminist. Yeah. <laughs> and now he's like, how dare liberals in the media ignore this? thing that everyone is talking about. <laughs> the idea that anyone's ignoring this yeah. is crazy, by it's the nuts. way. There have been like 900,000 think pieces about this, including on our website. <laughs> including on our website where there's probably like an infinite scroll on the Harvey Weinstein <laughs> tag now. <laughs> Here's also a quote from the Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna Romney McDaniel. Oh, I love Ronna. Ronna, give, give Ronna it to had me. to weigh in. <laughs> Ronna says they are referring to Democratic politicians, keeping 90% of his donations. I don't understand. If you stand for treating women well and you stand for the respect of women, you shouldn't take money from somebody who treated women with the absolute highest level of disrespect. This was a sort of a goldmine for the Republican Party because it is a legitimate flashpoint. Like, it puts a face, and Harvey Weinstein's face specifically, on— It was like Hollywood. <laughs> Great yeah, face. Yeah, on, yeah, the horrible face of Hollywood. His visage is haunting my his face has been every in, moment. Uh, every article, I'd see his—oh, God. Um, <laughs> anyway, it puts this pretty, you know, unappealing face on this entrenched sort of donor system that is still haunting the Democratic Party and tearing apart its two wings. And so, you know— It's two wings that are— the Democrats who are willing to accept these big donors and mm -hmm. then people who are like Bernie Sanders who are like, you know, right. grassroots all the time. It does feel like a tiny bit of a cop-out to say, oh, well, it's the donor system. That's the real problem here. Right. But I also think that it's true. Yeah. I think it's both a cop-out and true. Like, to incentivize getting money from the very bottom of the barrel and looking the other direction when it turns out the bottom of the barrel is full of pigs is, you know, like a problem. I don't know if it weren't for the Cokes and the Mercers, would the Clintons have less of a cozy relationship with Let's, let's think Harvey? about this. Who's rich? Uniformly bad people. I mean, or if you're good at first, then you make, become rich and you get bad. To make a billion dollars, unless you're like very lucky, 
I mean, there are a few billionaires that aren't terrible, but for the most part, rich people are crazy. They live in a totally different universe. And the richer they are, the crazier they are. I'm sorry to make a broad statement, but it's true. And this is I classes. Think, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but I think that like tune in next week when we'll be covering the class war that we began yeah, that this we week. Started. <laughs> I think that Harvey, like Harvey Weinstein sort of speaks to the fact that when you take money from somebody, you are beholden to them in some way. It might not be direct. You might not do exactly what they want or support their causes in a, in a precise way. But he, this is a person who should not have had any sort of political control over any party. And he undoubtedly did wield some influence. And that's terrible. What is the policy position that being a, an alleged sexual harasser translates into? Because in the Republican Party, we the feminist talking point, which I wholeheartedly agree with, is that, well, if you don't respect women and you demonstrate it in your personal behavior, then there's no way that you're going to respect them in your policy positions on things like choice and women's health care and uh, equal pay and all the things that we all know about. And on the Democratic side, there's sort of like these are policy positions that already exist in well, the policy platform, which makes it a little more complicated. Well, to that's talk why about. the Republicans, I think, are like so gleeful about this in addition right. to the Trump stuff, because it's like your platform allegedly <sighs> respects women. But now your biggest donors you freaking don't. hypocrites. Yeah, you're hypocrites. And then I also think that like that's kind of the problem with this specific Democratic issue is that the plat I mean, the platform now has become so much more progressive, but it still could be much more progressive, obviously. But the idea that you can like ostensibly preach that women are people and then like, oh, the insidious sexism right. of these big donors. Right. I'm just not sure that I see the pay to play as obviously with the Democrats as I do with the Republicans. Like not to sort of be a partisan hack here, but well, I don't it know is, if he's, do he's not donating because he's a misogynist. He's and donating to be to like, look, I'm a good progressive right. person and like also please give me tax breaks in these states. And for even movie if you production. if you look at like the gun violence in movies thing, which is this tiny example from a million years ago, but he was like by supporting a candidate that was against those things, he wasn't actually supporting his own financial interests. And that's sort of what Al Gore's spokesman said. He said, you could make the same argument about the oil industry and Bush and Cheney, except they don't stand up to the oil industry. They basically do what the industry wants. So I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a weird thing. I mean, there's there's so much hypocrisy on both sides. And I think like Republicans are probably really tired of being called hypocrites for supporting like pro-life positions and letting a lot of people get killed and for like being against abortion, but except for for their mistresses. And this is like <laughs> just such a big, like juicy bone. <laughs> I love being against abortion, except for your mistress. It's so juicy. <laughs> I just love it anyone is so who juicy. is that way. It's so good. And it's just like, Time for the weekly segment. I think the best segment because it has nothing to do with politics. How to handle the dicks? Um, where oh, we talk finally. about how to handle the dicks, so what we're doing to like have fun, maintain a smile on our faces, 
On our um, beautiful, shiny faces. On our beautiful faces. Um, Ellie and Kelly. <laughs> what, what are That's you our g- name. That's our group name, <laughs> Ellie and Kelly. <laughs> what are you guys doing? Do you have anything? I mean, I think like every single member of the Jezebel staff, I've gotten really into expensive skincare routines. Definitely. But on top of that, I've also, and this has been sort of a year-long thing, just been aggressively developing hobbies and sort of leaving them half-developed. Sure. So my latest hobby has been uh, to become outdoorsy. And I recently went to REI and purchased a pair of hiking boots. I think it's great that you started with the purchase. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of just like taking a walk. Nope. See how you liked it. Nope. nope. Straight I to need the boots. to buy uh, a compression pack for my sleeping bag and <laughs> a special cup that folds up and a uh, $160 pair of hiking boots. Um, I really love REI. <laughs> it was, it smells good in there. It was like a beautiful sort of elegant, just sort of filled with carabiners of every color. I just, I don't know. I um, enjoy it. If you liked it. REI, you are going to love the woods. I don't know. Will I? Yeah, no, I do. I like the woods a lot. I just don't go to them very often. Uh-huh. But I am going to them this weekend. Wow. What woods? Bear Mountain. I've heard it's a hard hike. Okay. I've done that hike. Mm. You'll be fine. Well, I'm excited that I have my brand new hiking boots. Um, Joanna, where were you this weekend? I know that you went somewhere really special. <laughs> You you did. Um, you got a good pick. On Sunday, I went to Storm King Arts Center, which Ooh. is in um, um, Orange County, New York. I didn't know that existed. As we drove in, oh, yeah. I said, welcome to the OC, bitch. And it got a huge laugh from my car. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I went there. It's If you guys aren't from New York, you don't know that Storm – you might not be familiar with Storm King, which is this huge estate that's a public or you pay to get in. And then it has a lot of like very large sculptures kind of like smattering the land. Oh, uh, yes. And it, there's one specific sculpture. It's a, it's a mirrored fence. I saw that, that you ev- got there. That everybody takes a picture. I know it from Instagram. <laughs> I yeah. mean, yes, as do I very well. And I took a picture in the mirrored fence on Sunday. A, a big win for Joanna. Definitely a big and win for fence. me. And for the fence. Thank You're you. right. You're right. And for my Instagram account, now it appears that I have at least four friends who are also in the picture with me and that I am that I do like woodland fall festive activities. It was a good Instagram. You got to get in one good woodland fall festive activity every fall. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I God. Have life not is done that. hell. <laughs> life is hell. I, I'd love to leave it. <laughs> got to go into nature for the pics. <laughs> um, Kelly, how's, how's your life? Have I been handling the dicks? Have you been handling the dick? Have I been handling the dick? Mm. Um, oh, God. <laughs> that was what you said. <laughs> um, I have been handling the dicks in public life via home redecoration. That's a great one. Yeah, it's a really easy one. Drilled into a wall yesterday to try and hang some shelves. Dang. Did you locate a stud first? Uh, yes, but the studs were made out of metal. So you can't um, drill into that. Yeah, so that sucked. Um, I did get to use a stud finder, though, which is one of my favorite tools because there's such an easy joke attached to stud finders. You You can use it. Hold it up to a male friend or a boyfriend, (laughs) husband, brother, really anyone. Of course. um, And turn it on and then say, no studs detected. It's a good one. That's really funny. I never, honestly, recently used a stud detector. That joke didn't even come close to occurring to me. (laughs) next time. Now we know. 
It's a, it's just a free joke that comes attached to the stud finder. Awesome. <laughs> like it's a popsicle. No, no. Yeah, comes on the basically. Thing. So I got to do that yesterday. That was nice. Didn't hang the shelves because of the metal studs, which do you know good. Wait, so um, then what did he do? I put the shelves like in a corner of my house. I put together a bed frame and it was if possible, like the easiest bed frame to assemble. It had, it was, everything was labeled. The instructions were so easy to understand. But when I was done with it, I felt so triumphant. I had never real, like, I feel like in my adult life, I've been lucky enough that there's always been sort of somebody around to make things for me if I need, like, I don't really put up my own shelves that sounds horrible, but I'm just like bad at that shit and I'm kind of lazy. But I put together my bed frame. Manually, I'm I not feel amazing about it. I'm yeah. Man- yeah, I'm just, I'm not super, what do you, how do you say it? Dexterous? Dexterous. I'm not. God, I think of myself as being so dexterous. And then yesterday while I was sitting on the couch while my husband drilled into the wall, I was like, mm, aren't I so handy? And then I kind of looked around the room and I was like, oh, I'm not doing any of the work. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and he made some kind of comment like, uh, like, always around to hang the shelves. Like, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sorry, always around to, s- I don't know. It was, uh, it felt so stereotypical. I hated it. But I did hang these curtains all by myself and it was so precarious and so dangerous and it was a great personal expense. So hanging curtains honestly is an underrated task. It's so difficult. Anyway. It's hard. <laughs> I know it's really hard. Uh, I hate this because now my husband's going to listen to the podcast and he's going to be like, great, is this like a Tide commercial where I'm like the hired set of hands and you're just like sitting on the couch with a glass of wine, which was not the situation. No, I don't believe that it was. It wasn't. I believe that you were being as helpful as you could have been. No I don't mean that detected. insultingly. No, it's that's detected. It was just going to provide the comic relief. Exactly. Thank you so much for listening to Big Time Dicks. Thank you to our guest, Ellie Sheckett, who we feel fondly about. This show is produced by Levi Sharp with editorial oversight by Kate Drees. Monana Mofidi is our executive director of audio, and we featured music by Stuart Wood and Aaron Leader. The episode was mixed by Jamie Colazzo. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so other people can find the show, and you can also find us on Panoply, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts. Got a Big Time Dick you want to tell us about? Send a voice note or email to bigtimedicks at jezebel.com or tweet at Jezebel using the hashtag bigtimedicks. We'll see you next Tuesday. Who knows what the world will look like then? (laughs) That was great.